Good evening and welcome to Pastor's Class as we study through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians for another week. Hopefully by now, if, you, if you've uh, picked up our resource, Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary on this, uh, it's a great resource to walk along. We're using a lot of the points from it. Uh, so it's something that we're, a lot of what we're doing here, just to give credit where it's due, comes uh, from that resource. And so we, we would be happy for you to pick that up and read it alongside as we walk through these weeks on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Tonight we'll be in 1st Thessalonians, the end of chapter 4, uh, one that's of great comfort to believers and also has been a fascination, I mean, maybe the most famous passage of the entire uh, book of 1st Thessalonians and, and uh, is of great comfort to believers and also one that's been of great conversation. So we'll deal with a little bit of that as well as we study this tonight. I'd like to read the passage and walk through that for a moment, thinking about what a great hope it is to, for us to put our mind on the return of the Lord, and then we'll walk through uh, these few verses studying them. So let me begin reading uh, in verse 13. I uh, also want to mention before we jump into it, our handout's available there in the notes on whatever platform you're on. Usually we've posted it right there in the notes. Hopefully you, you should uh, be able to get it there and see kind of the points that I'll be walking through uh, for tonight. Beginning 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, who will we will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these Words. Let me pray for us uh, before we jump into our study. Heavenly Father, use these words here to encourage us. May they strengthen us on the journey that we're on in this life. Uh, as believers, may this be of great hope to us. And Lord, use this in our sanctification. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we look towards uh, the rapture or the day of the Lord or when the Lord comes back, however we see this, uh, we do take great hope. Now, this has been something of fascination of people for years. There's movies and books, and uh, there's uh, preachers that you can turn on TV, and they talk lots about this, and there's diagrams and graphics and all kinds of stuff out there, and people are fascinated by the future. You can um, find horoscopes in certain places, and people wanting to read your future by looking at the palm of your hand or a tarot card or... Uh, from the Farmer's Almanac to anything. We want to know what's happening in the future because we can be all knowledgeable about all kinds of things, but we are all humbled when we come to not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen in the future? And the Bible uh, gives us a, a glimpse at, at some things that we can know about the future and the first and second Thessalonians is written to a church that that as they're trying to pursue the Lord here's some really faithful uh, believers he said some really good things about them in their walk with the Lord they're they're wrestling with what's gonna happen with the return of Christ 
they, they really care about it and there's been some confusion on this front and so Paul uh, wants to clear some things up for them as he approaches this. Now, the, let me book in a couple of verses as we start. Uh, the first verse, he talks about them being uninformed. How, if you look at verse 13 there, he says, but we do not want you to be, he uses the phrase, uninformed. He, he says that they, they don't know stuff. There's some things that he looks at them and says, you don't understand about the rapture. And then on the very back end, uh, he'll look at them in verse 18. He'll says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So uh, what's nice about this, at the very beginning, they don't know some things. But when they're done, the things that they do learn are encouraging to their soul. So hopefully that's what this Bible study should be, is uh, some things that maybe you don't know or some things that maybe you forget. And by the time we're done, these should be truths that encourage us as believers and encourage uh, one another. Now, one more note uh, that they made in the, the resource I mentioned a minute ago. One of the things that uh, they said in this book, and I think it's helpful to us, is to remember when we tackle this passage, because there's uh, debates and thoughts and how to interpret certain parts of it. Uh, Paul, when he's writing this, is using this as pastoral encouragement uh, to the believers that are in Thessalonica. So at the very end, remember what it said, therefore encourage one another with these words. That's the point of the passage. Uh, so be careful not to turn it into some sort of um, dissecting theological truths, because that's not necessarily what Paul was trying to give here. He was trying to give truths that were encouraging to the heart. And so we should walk away as believers from this study being encouraged and not, not wanting to dissect everything and speculate on what might be there. So. As we're breaking that down, hopefully you have the handout there. The, the main idea, kind of what the big tying point of this whole Bible study is, is that God's promises about tomorrow give us hope for how we can face today. God gives us promises down the road, and it gives us hope for how we might face right now, things in our life today. So it begins with this fundamental question, this, this big question about life, and one that the Thessalonians were wrestling with is what happens uh, to Christians who die? What happens to Christians who die? So as they started talking about um, the this idea of people dying, and this is kind of early on in the Christian faith, there there are there's this question of like, okay, if people die before Christ returns, what's going to happen to these people that die? And there was some confusion, there were some other, there was actually even a letter that was circulating uh, that people thought Paul had written, and there's all this kind of stuff that was going around. And it started to make believers to think, man, why, if, if Christ's coming back next week, I might just quit my job. Why bother working? It's, kind of, it's the temptation of thinking, well, why do I even have to work even if Christ is returning? So what do you do as you prepare? And so he wanted to walk through a, a few um, words. Let me give you the first word here in verse 13. We do not want to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Those who are asleep. He uses this term sleep describing death because the first subpoint here, death is a certainty. Death is going to happen. We're all going to die. And he's using this term sleep as a euphemism for death. 
Death has been uh, reframed by the cross. And it's reframed into the term sleep. And a couple of points of clarification about sleep here. Sleep doesn't mean that you go into a spirit of a, a time of unconsciousness. Some would call this soul sleep. That's, that's not what we're talking about. That, that you go and you die and there's a period of time you just don't, you're not conscious, you're not aware that you're there. Uh, you are immediately in the presence with the Lord. But, but what does happen is you are now soul and body, and you will be disembodied. Your soul and your spirit will carry on to be with the Lord, but your body will then stay here. You, you'll be disembodied and you will go into sleep. One day you will be embodied again, as we'll read about here in a moment, when Christ returns. But at this point, uh, this is kind of how we see sleep, and it's this kind of really soft way. Uh, since death no longer has its sting, it's not this terrible thing. Now we just sleep. So we don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. Now the other thing uh, that happens here, death is a certainty, but a second point under this is ignorance creates confusion. And we talked about this a moment ago when verse 13, but we do not want you to be, and he says, uninformed brothers. So when you're, you're not informed about uh, death, when, when you face it, look at the rest of the verse, about those who are asleep, they say you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The temptation would be is to face death and grieve as ones who don't have hope, as someone who looks towards this afterlife and with despair. But we as Christians, when we face a funeral or death or even or sickness or whatever may come our way, we do it as ones with hope, knowing that we're going to sleep and wake up with the Lord. We're going to go and the, the minute we close our eyes and we breathe our last breath, the next moment we'll, we'll see the Lord. There was this great hope on the other side of this life. Now, one of the things to be careful here is we are uninformed. There's a couple forms you can go is uh, that you can become overly obsessed with it and have extreme views on it. That's where some of these uh, Thessalonians would quit work or do some odd things based on how they see their death. Another way that you might um, make a mistake from this is to begin to speculate if you're uninformed. Now, uh, let me get to this, what I mean, is that the Bible doesn't tell us everything we know about the Lord. Um, you know, it just it doesn't fill in every gap. And particularly about end times, it doesn't tell us every single thing that's ever happened. And so in this moment, the Bible's not going to tell us everything about after we die. And so a lot of us, when we're uninformed, we, we, want, we want to know everything. And so we're going to go try to fill in every gap. And the danger comes is we begin to take stuff from a lot of different sources and somewhat people are dreaming up and begin to say, well, this is what happens after you die. This is what happens at this point. This is what happens. Well, we don't know. So we have to be careful with speculation to fill in gaps of things the Bible hasn't given us. Because the Bible's given us what we need to know, but we have to be careful to not fill it in with speculation and things uh, that aren't there. But ultimately, us as Christians, we approach the grave and death with hope. We should take this verse. This is a verse you should memorize and learn. It's one that you should take to a funeral or even in thinking about your own death. Is that we grieve. We still grieve. We still 
feel the effects of death, but we do it as ones with hope. We do it with um, ones knowing there is something on the other side. Here's the second fundamental portion. The first one is a question. The second is a fundamental truth. Our faith is backed up by fact. What we have put our faith in to one day happen, it will happen. And how do we know that? How do you know this thing's coming? How can I have confidence that Jesus is returning? Uh, he doesn't go, when he goes to defend this and talk about it, and talk about how we'll one day uh, rise again, uh, the, he doesn't point to some truth down the road. He actually looks back in the past to the cross. Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So he looks back to Jesus' death. There's the first subpoint. We have a forgiven past. Jesus died. So how can you have confidence that in hope and death and that this is just sleep? You have confidence that there was a death in Jesus that paid the penalty for your sins. That now death's curse has been reversed, the sting is gone, and that Jesus has paid for that in his death. Think about the structure here. Jesus died, meaning that he paid for your sins, so now the eternal punishment has been paid, so now death is, has been redeemed into sleep. That's the change here because of the death of Christ. You no longer have to fear your own death. And so that's his point here of pointing to the death of Jesus, but he doesn't just point to the death of Jesus. The, the second point here, uh, not only is it about the death of Jesus, it's about his resurrection. See, we have veri verifiable faith because of the resurrection, because Jesus came back from the dead. Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and not only his death, but he rose again. So we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And because we look back at that, the gospel, his death and his resurrection, we now can have hope in our resurrection. That that, that matters for us today. He carries this logic through the rest of the verse. Look at it there in the second half. He said, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead. So as we face our death, which the Thessalonian believers were worried, they said, yeah, we're waiting on Jesus to come back right now, and what if I die before then? Will he take me? And in that moment, Jesus comes back, he said, you know what, because Jesus rose from the dead at the cross, from the cross and rose again, just like then, those will rise again as well. So you have hope if you die in the resurrection of Christ. And so he ties the two here in verse 14. That's why we think the resurrection is so crucial to our faith, because it is our hope for tomorrow and how we hope we will one day rise again. So we've drawn this idea of falling asleep. We've connected it to really the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. He rose victoriously over death. And those two acts are connected to our death and how sin, um, we died in our sin, but we won't pay the penalty he did and how we will one day rise again. Those are connected. But the last portion here, uh, the last point under this one is that we have a trustworthy guide, the scripture. At the core of all this, we can look to the Bible 
to give us our hope. So why is it you can trust this? How can you, how can you know all this is true? That we know Jesus really died. We know Jesus really rose from the dead. And we also have a, a Bible we can trust. And he, he says this in the beginning of verse 15. Look at what he says. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. I'm saying you, are, you have a direct word from the Lord that you can trust the Bible in all of this. So that's how you can have confidence and hope and can be informed as you face sleep and death, the gospel, Jesus uh, dying, rising from the dead, and our hope in the scriptures. Let's look at a third point here. There is a future promise that the Lord is coming. Now here's where we get to a little bit more of the debated parts of the passage. We're going to Verse 17 talks about the term rapture, which is not actually in the Bible. Rapture is, is uh, the uh, Latin word that's translated uh, from this original Greek word here in 17, where it says caught up, the, the idea of being caught up with Christ. The word, the word in its original meaning means to uh, snatch away or to seize in, in a sudden fashion. So just imagine if you were holding something and somebody walks up and just snatches it away from you. It's rapid, it's quick, it, it's something that you're not even expecting. It, it's surprising when it happens and they just snatch it right out of your hands. That's, that's the picture given here of Christ coming and this massive moment is all going to happen very quickly. It's, it's sudden, it's in any ways violent. It's strong. It, it, it's going to be this massive moment of Christ returning. Now, uh, regardless of when, and we'll get to this more in a moment, uh, particular there are, we need to look at the idea of Christ's return and how it comforts us as Christians. It doesn't matter so much as when we believe it's going to happen, because there is debate among Christians on that. There are some things we all hold true some things we all believe are true about it and should be of comfort to us. First, we all agree and confirm Jesus is coming again. We know he's going to return. We know he's coming for his church. He will gather his church to himself. We know that the dead aren't going to miss this event. That the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. We know that when he comes, there's going to be this glorious reunion found in Christ. And we know also that there's a, the expectation of this event, the purpose of, of us even knowing this is going to happen, is to be an encouragement for us as believers. That's the last verse. That's the point. It's not supposed to be something that um, I sit around and study all the details of every day. It's just meant to be an encouragement to my heart. It's supposed to carry us through and strengthen us uh, for tomorrow. Now, there are some things that come up from this text. Uh, the, the idea that when will this happen? Will this happen when Jesus returns? Will it be before or after the day of the Lord? Um, when he comes, is, is Jesus going to take the church up with him onto heaven, or is he going to come take the church and go on down to earth? And uh, is there some sort of two stages? Is he going to come as rapturing the church and then come back in the second coming, or is this all one coming of Christ? These are all the challenging questions of the end times. Now, this may sound like I'm stepping out of it, 
Uh, I will say this, that if we were to give a full treatment of all of those, we wouldn't actually study this passage. We would be, the few minutes we have here would be spent completely on uh, the second coming of Christ and scripture. So uh, forgive me if I don't give a full explanation of all of that. Uh, but I do believe that we can at core level agree on the return of Christ and the fact that he is coming because that's the first sub point of this. There is a certainty of his coming. We can know he's coming. Uh, look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend. We know Jesus Christ himself will descend. 23 of the 27 New Testament books all mentioned his uh, coming. Uh, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament either mention his coming or the end time events that surround his coming. We should just know that this is going to happen. Christ will return. And we should know that it's sudden. I mentioned that a minute ago in the definition of the word. There's a suddenness of his coming. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. There's no, there's no advance warning. The, the, the sound of the trumpet and the, the things that happen around it will all come at the moment he shows up. And we should be encouraged that this could happen at any time. That at any moment, in the midst of whatever chaos we live in, Jesus can come. That's why we say Maranatha, the Lord Jesus come. Our, our desire is to see the Lord come. That is our hope as Christians. And no matter what uh, frustrations, and I mean, you can see uh, our world is feeling the tensions of that and has been. Uh, people are suffering and struggle and and we can just see the 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 um, structures and the systems of our society just being pressed they we're struggling and we look to it and say what what's our hope and then we just say come Lord Jesus that is our hope is in Christ this sudden coming of the Lord here's a here's another one Christ's return will bring reunion look look at uh the end of verse 16 it says and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the dead in Christ rise first. And then if you look at verse 17, then who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So there's a couple of reunions that's going to be happening. First, that if you're dead, like I mentioned earlier, those that are soul will be reuniting with their bodies. And so there'll be this kind of moment of reunion there when you are resurrected from the dead, if you're dead, the, the reverse will be also if you are alive, there'll be this reuniting of the dead and those who are alive. This is the hope we have in death, is that we will see uh, these loved ones again. I know oftentimes I'll see somebody post that, you know, when their mom dies and their dad had already passed, they'll say, you know, mom and daddy are together again. Our hope is that in the the Christ return, that those who are alive will be reunited uh, with those who are dead. It, it's the great reunion found in Christ, caught up together. And then they'll be caught up in the heavens. And ultimately, Christ, this is the third point, Christ's return will bring relief. Th this is a world of sin and struggle. And as we approach Christ's return, this will bring relief to our lives. 
This is our hope coming around the corner that Christ's return will bring relief to the struggles that we have. So that, that's the hope we have here in Him coming. Let, let's look at also, and this is kind of what I mentioned earlier, the timing of His coming. And that's kind of the big question here, is when does this happen? That's where you could probably get into a fair bit of debate. Uh, typically, in a couple of different ways to look at this. There, We know at the end times, there will be seven years of tribulation and struggle. Uh, people will then take that seven years, tribulation, the tribulation period, and then look at Christ's return here, his rapturing of the church, his coming to get his people, the gathering of his people, will, will either occur pre-trib at the beginning of those seven years. Some people say mid-trib, somewhere in those seven years. And some will say post-trib at the end of those seven years. And the ones that put post-trib will unite the day of the Lord when he comes to judge along with the day he comes together his church. And they'll put those two days together. Then those that come pre-trib, the beginning of the seven years, will separate the two and say he'll come together his church and then he'll come back to judge. All of that just to say those are the ways Christians approach this. Now one of the things that's helpful to remember here that I think we use often is theological, the theological triage um, that Albert Moeller has given us. And what he talks about there is there's first-tier doctrines like the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's something we'll die for, and if you don't believe it, you're not a Christian. There's second-tier doctrines like what we might believe about baptism. Some uh, Baptists believe in, well, we as Baptists believe in immersion, that you would dunk under the water. Then we might know Presbyterian brothers who would sprinkle for baptism. Now, they still believe the gospel. We would say they're going to heaven, but we would say that we can't have church together. That's the second level, is that we still know that we hold the core truths together, but we probably wouldn't have a church together because we disagree on some things. Then there's the third level, and that's really the level where you can go to church and disagree. And what I mean by that is even with end times theology like this, and we look towards how we look at pre-trib or post-trib, these are these are not doctrines that divide us within the life of our church. I know that as I teach this, there will be people that are post-trib and people that are uh, pre-trib as we look at this particular doctrine. That's why it's so unique to teach on something like this because when I taught on Jesus dying on the cross and rising again a moment ago, you know that we all agree on that. This is one where we might have different uh, thoughts on this particular passage. So without time to parse all of them out, I just want to say that, that there is thoughts on when he will come, but, but ultimately all of us as a church hold the key belief that he is coming and we know it's going to happen. Just the timing may be shifted. Now there are specifics to his coming. We agree on all these things. Look at them there in the passage. For the Lord himself, and here's the order of the specifics. For the Lord himself will descend, step one. Okay. So Jesus is coming. He's going to descend. That will then bring about this announcement moment. So right as he comes down, there'll be a cry from heaven, this great shout. There'll be a voice of an archangel, which will announce it. And then there will be a sound of a trumpet. All of those will happen. This trumpet of heaven that, that will come, this trumpet of God that will come and announce the, the coming of Christ. So Christ descends. As he descends, this announcement comes and this loud moment that even the dead will be able to hear uh, of this announcement of who he is. Then, following that, the dead will rise 
first. So the dead come up first, then the alive next. So you got the dead in Christ will rise first, the alive will come up next, and then there's this caught up in the clouds. This is kind of beautiful picture of reunion of all of the church of God, uh, all the saints of all time, his people, the kingdom of God all comes together and they're caught up in the clouds. And so the clouds, how you see the clouds kind of depends on how you see uh, what's going on here. If you see that Christ is going to go back on up to heaven, you see as if they're caught up and the clouds means like with God. If you see that Christ is just going to come back down to earth to uh, reign, then he, he's going to catch up in the clouds here and then come on down. Either way, we see this beautiful picture of all the church of God uniting in the clouds. So there's the, there's the steps of what you see happen in this passage. And then we end with this fitting uh, conclusion. Our hope is secure. Ultimately, what's the point of having this conversation looking at these verses and the hope of the coming of Christ, it has, it has implications for tomorrow and for today. So let me talk about the two tomorrow and today. Look at the very end of verse 17. I'll just read all of verse 17, but look at the end of it. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then here's the hope. So we will always be with the Lord. That's, that's the hope. That at the very end of it all, the, the future hope that we have is that we'll always, no matter what happens, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, principalities, power, no matter what it is, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, right? So no matter what, we won't be able, nothing will separate us because we'll always be with the Lord. So as we as Christians, we have this hope looking towards the future. But what that should do is not just be about the future, but it should bring about the hope we have for our lives today. Look at verse 18. It says, therefore, so after all that, you as Christians, encourage one another with these words. So here's, here's the application that he gives right out of it. Tells you what to do with it. As you see people struggling with death in particular, use the words of the end of 1 Thessalonians 4 to encourage one another. This is why this is a great passage to look at for a funeral. Because he specifically said this is where it should be used. You should, this should be encouragement to you as a believer that one day Christ is coming that you will always be with him. And the reason you can know that is because Christ died, Christ rose again, and the scriptures are true. Gives us hope for tomorrow that Jesus is coming. He's going to come together his church and there'll be this glorious reunion for his people. What a great hope we have as Christians. Even in the midst of whatever we face right now in our lives and in this world, we have great hope found in the return of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this great hope. Lord, I pray that it would be an encouragement to each one of those listening uh, tonight to this, to this study. And Lord, use it to give us strength uh, for the days today. And Lord, we just admit today, we long for that day when we are relieved of the struggles of this world 
and we are with you. We look forward to it with great joy and anticipation. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.